situation, fix something, or take something away. Raise your hand. Don't be bashful. Let's look around. If you have ever, keep that hand up. Everybody look around, please. If you have ever asked God, take something away, fix something, or change something. There are no liars in the house today. This is, this is wonderful. This is beautiful. And I know online they're raising their hands too. I would expect every hand to go up because unless you have some kind of disorder, uh, most people don't like pain. They, they don't enjoy hardship. They would not choose suffering. I mean, and here we have doors one, two, and three. And numbers one and three have pain and suffering behind them. Nobody's going to be like, well, give me three. No matter how earnestly we pray, though, we will never be totally free from suffering on this earth. No matter what. But, you know, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. The scripture says, well, that's interesting anyway, because that's talking about salvation. It's not even talking about heart. But that's just another thing that's taken out of context. People kind of grab little scriptures and then you just run with it based on that concept and kind of have to read the context of the whole scripture. But uh, we're never going to be free from trouble and pain and problems. It happens. That's what sin does. And so today I want to speak for a little bit here on suffering and setbacks. Suffering and setbacks. Jesus, oh God, thank you so much. We've already felt you so strong and so many people have stepped up to the altar with faith believing and you've moved in hearts and spoken to minds and you've allowed us to feel your presence and power and I believe that signs, wonders, miracles, I believe that things have already happened today. You spoke to us in spiritual gifts, Lord, and so we're just so grateful. We don't take any of this for granted, but Lord, I just ask that you wouldn't be done yet today, that through your word that you would speak through me and allow just a heart and a mind to receive something today from this message that would really impact us forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Look at Jesus himself. The gospels show us how the devil came and tempted Jesus in the wilderness. For he was fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. We're not there yet. We're doing three-day fasts. But if you want to do a 40-day and 40-night fast, awesome. Um, I hope you've done like a 20-day one before that, though. Otherwise, I'm going to be visiting you in the hospital. So look at Luke's description, how it ends, though. Luke 4, 13, it says, When the devil had ended all the temptation, he departed him for, for a season. You say, woohoo! Yes! Jesus, he wins. The devil doesn't win. He, he departs and he, he shows the devil who's boss and he shows us how we can win with prayer and fasting. And yes. But read the last three words again. For a season. Yes. I love it. That was clear. That was great. So, Teresa, I need to have you read all my scriptures. You are awesome. That meant the enemy was coming back. He was going to rear his ugly face again like this. Times of trouble in our lives, they will leave. They will go. We will pray and fast and see God work. And, and, and in this thing called life on this place called earth, though, they're not going to stay away. They're going to come back. The enemy, our flesh, uh, struggles and challenges. We are destined to experience hardship and suffering at times. But most of us bemoan trials. We hate temptation. We prefer coasting rather than fighting. Yet James in the New Testament says this. James 1, 2. Dear brothers and sisters, that's us. When troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. 
um, Brother James, excuse me. I doubt that when he was preaching in that, in that setting and he's going, guys, consider this an opportunity when trials and tribulations come for great joy. They probably had the same response as you have right now in this service. Are you serious? He goes on, for you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. Isn't that amazing that when you're lifting weights, okay, don't look at me, I know I don't do it a lot, but when you're lifting weights, you're putting weight on the bar and you are laying down bench pressing and what is happening? You are using resistance, it's resistance training, that's why even if you hit boxing bags or kickboxing bags or lift weights, it's based on, you're going to get a lot more of an exercise rather than just shadow boxing that might help endurance and stuff, but when you're doing something where resistance is going against you, you're building strength. And so, you say, well, I hate, I hate exercising, I hate working out. Well, that's because you don't enjoy the resistance of, I would rather wake up and move around without resistance. But if you do that too long, then your body starts to change in a bad way. So you want to give your body resistance training so it keeps it in shape and healthy. He says, so from your faith is tested, endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow for when it, your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. James knew that the trying of faith is what actually develops what's inside of us. And that is something all of us must get. This, this again, this might, be, this, this might be the best thing I say today. So here it is. God has always been more interested in our development than in our comfort. And that right there is one of the most difficult things that it is for us to wrap our brains around. This loving God, I want this, and I ask for this, and I'm struggling with this, and I have this pain, and my child's sick, and the doctor gave me this diagnosis, and I'm short on cash. And we have all these issues that cause real tension in our lives. But then this person hurt me, and then this person hurt me, and then Brother Foster talked about, you know, spiritual authority, and my pastor, my old pastor, spirit, that person hurt me. And what is God doing? And so we prefer, we say, I'm uncomfortable, I'm in pain, I'm hurting right now. But God has always been more interested in our development than he is in our comfort. The Apostle Paul also speaks about the value found in suffering. Philippians 3.10, he says, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death. Um... Brother Paul, <laughs> I, again, I think it's probably like this. We're all like, what? Has anybody ever said anything? Jesus suffered, and he died on the cross, and I want to suffer too. I doubt any of us in our morning prayer today said that. You know, pre-service prayer. Brother Foster, you would think you'd be like, he's, he's nuts. He's done lost his mind. If he got up and saying, Lord, we welcome you into this place today, God. Lord, we know that you died a barbaric death on the cross. They plucked the beard from your face and they whipped you with a cat of nine tails. And they put wrought iron nails through your wrists and feet, God. You suffered and tonight we want to suffer too, God. We want desperately to suffer just like you did. 
if a guest was here, they'd be like, new church, see ya. But Paul says, hey, I want to I wanna suffer. I want to share in your death. He understood the value of suffering for Christ's sake. Paul even writes later that if we suffer with Christ, we will reign with him. 2 Timothy 2.12, he writes to Timothy, he says, if, if we endure hardship, we will reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. As God is developing us into what he wants us to be, well, we must understand that this development does not just come through blessings and smooth roads. But yet, we say, right, amen, that's good, yes, I understand, but it's a whole different animal to live it. I like smooth roads. I like, I like the path to be clear. I like not dealing with drama and trauma and stress and we must understand that this development doesn't just come. Blessings aren't just the mark of like, oh, yeah, God, I'm, I'm exactly what God wants me to be because I'm not struggling to pay my bills. Oh, I'm exactly what God wants me to be because I'm healthy. What? There are seasons of life. And 1 Peter 1, 6 says, so tr be truly glad. There is a wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. Many trials for a little while. Doesn't that kind of paint a picture? Our lives are but a vapor. Many trials, little while. But a lot of people, they, oh, I'm stressed. I'm giving up. God's not here. Where is God? I'm frustrated with God. But that happens when we're focused on the little while rather than on the eternal picture. And so we get stressed and we get frustrated. And, and so he says, Peter says, these trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, not just one, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on that day, on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. You love him even though you have never seen him, though you do not see him. Now you trust him. You rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. The reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. I'm only walking with God so that my bills are paid. I have a good job. I'm healthy. Like, and you're missing it. He's saying, I want to develop you into what I want you to be. But what does that entail? Well, when he called his disciples, he was like, yeah, you're going to be brought up before the synagogues and people are going to beat you. Eventually, you're going to die. I doubt they were like, you know, wow, man, that's a, they, that, there's a reason why he, he only had 12 follow him everywhere. I, and a lot of people left him. That's quite the call. I doubt any of us if he was here. I'm looking for recruits, volunteers. <laughs> he didn't say, I'm going to pay your schooling, I'm going to pay your education. I'm gonna pay. He, he says, no, I'm looking for recruits, for volunteers. You're going to walk with me brought before the synagogue. People are going to speak. You're going to end up having to leave some of your families, and eventually you'll be beat up and killed. <laughs> the room's like, whoa, where do I sign up? He says, but if you do this, the reward for trusting him, that's where the eternal picture comes in. Many trials, a little while, but then you have an eternal picture.
Suffering and setbacks, they're never meant to destroy us. The minute something happens in our lives, I say our, I can't make that blanket generalization, but in some lives, some say, well, why is God doing, where is God? Why does God let this happen? God this, and I prayed, and I don't know what. And, and, and all along, we're going, okay, he didn't allow that to destroy you. Instead, based on Scripture, God's looking to develop us, mold us, and reveal himself to the world through us. You know, because if everything's perfect, everything's great, and somebody looks at you and says, hey, you need to trust God. They're like, look at you. Are you kidding me? Yeah, of course I would trust God if I, my life looked like yours. We see that in Job. Of course Job can trust you. He's rich. He's got all his kids. got all his family. His health. Well, yeah. Okay, well, watch. Let's take it all from him and see what happens. And there's a struggle. There is a, he, he, he works through some things. But in the end, he says, I won't curse God. I won't. He's even got great friends that want to accuse him of all these wonderful things. But when we serve God in the midst of all the struggles and the hurt and the pain and the trials and the diagnosis, if people can say, how do you do it? Let me tell you about this God that I serve. We all love hearing stories about the mighty works of God. We love to hear about healings and signs and wonders and wow. If we got up and said they were healed and this person was healed, praise God. We just don't want to be the person who needs the healing. Oh, yes, I love God's healing. I know God's power, but I don't want to be the one that needs the healing. If we're unwilling to suffer with him, how shall we ever reign with him? There is eternal value in suffering and setbacks. What we think of as our enemy is actually often our friend. Have you ever thought of this? Listen to this. Consider Jesus, Peter, and Judas. Jesus, Peter, and Judas. Kind of, kind of a, that's a big scope right there in those three men. Judas betrayed Jesus. He sold him out for 30 pieces of silver, betrayed by a kiss. Jesus looked at the betrayer, Judas, and what does he say? Matthew 26, 47, even as with Jesus said this, Judas, one of the 12 disciples, arrived with a crowd of men and armed with swords and clubs. They had been sent by leading priests and elders of the people. The traitor, Judas, <laughs> I love that. Matthew is a writing. And he just slips that in there. Yeah. And then this guy comes. The traitor, Judas, had given them a prearranged signal. You'll know which one to arrest when I give him a kiss. Judas came straight to Jesus. Greetings, Rabbi, he explained. Gave him a kiss. Jesus looks and what does Jesus say? My friend, go ahead and do what you came here for. Confession is good for the soul. Leave that scripture up there, please. I will confess to you. I would not have called him my friend. I would have called him a lot of different things. But I wouldn't have called him my friend. And they're like, oh, what's up, punk? Oh, good, nice to meet you. Couldn't call him Benedict, Benedict Arnold yet. That wasn't going to happen for a, for a while. Oh, yeah. Oh, my friend. Do what you came here to do. Then others grabbed Jesus and arrested him. 
Rewind just a bit before this moment with Judas in the garden and look at a conversation with Peter and Jesus. Matthew 16, 21, from then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem. He would suffer many terrible things at the hands of elders, the leading priests, the teachers of religious law. He would be killed, but on the third day, he'd raise, be raised from the dead. But Peter took him aside. I love this. Can you, can you just picture this? Jesus, Rabbi, I need to, I, I got to correct something you're saying. Jesus. I just wonder if we ever take Jesus aside and try and correct his plans, too. We had a hearty good laugh there because I think almost all of us have done that. Jesus, Jesus, I need to get it right. Come, come here. Come talk. Lord, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a full-time pastor trying to do your work. My four-year-old has type 1 diabetes. This isn't going to work very, very well. Got it. So... If we could, let's talk about this, because I know that you can, this is not a good plan. Peter took him aside and said, reprimand him. Heaven forbid, Lord, this will never happen to you. Let me just make this clear. Jesus turned to Peter, and what does he say? Get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You're seeing things merely from what? human point of view, not God's. Anybody join me in raising your hand and saying I'm guilty of that? You're seeing things merely from a human point of view, not God's. I mean, like Peter's here. He's expressing love for Christ. This kind of seems a bit harsh. He's expressing love for Christ. He didn't want Jesus to die. But then you look at Judas Matthew says, the traitor Judas, and he says, hey, my friend, do what you need to do. Peter says, I don't want you to die. Let me just make this clear, okay? We, this is not going to work. And he says, get behind me, Satan. Whoa, this is harsh. This, what is going on here? It seems backwards. One wanting to kill him and one not wanting him to die. One is called friend and the other is called Satan. You know, the answer is kind of simple. Judas was helping Jesus fulfill his purpose. Peter was trying to keep him from it. And I just wonder sometimes, when I'm begging God for this person, that person, for my own situation, if I'm actually begging God to not accomplish his purpose. Why? Because I want every miracle to happen because I don't want suffering. I don't want pain. I don't want someone to go through something. I don't want to go through something. But I'm wondering when God is going, you're begging to take something that I'm actually using right now to accomplish my purpose. But that attitude takes a lot of what? Trust. A lot of trust to look at my Savior and say, I hate the road I'm on right now. But if you have a purpose, which I know you always do, then help me to not look at things through merely human perspective, but from a heavenly perspective. 
to say, if I must suffer, and it will make me more like you. I wonder if we could actually force ourselves to say that. How many of us could literally say, God, if I must suffer, if it will make me more like you, then let me suffer. Whoa. You know what? I think it's important. Say it with me once. You actually will feel hesitation, a reservation, a fear. Just say it. Say, God, what did I say anyway? <laughs> if, if I must suffer and it will make me more like you, then let me suffer. Don't you actually feel your heart kind of what did I just say? No. I'm not saying, let's all, we all need to love suffering, okay? That's never going to happen. Okay? Granted, they might have gone singing to get burnt at the stakes and torn up by lions, but there was still that humanity that no doubt they dealt with. You want another example? Suffering and setbacks actually develop someone and plan. Brother Foster talked all about it. King David in the Old Testament. David struggled while understanding the value of his enemy. We see this in the Psalms he composed, many of which were lamenting troubles. He expressed his desire for God to judge his adversaries, to silence them, to do away with them. <laughs> yeah. In the New Testament, it calls for us to turn the other cheek, to pray for our brothers. They want this much, give them extra. But it's a progressive work in the Bible. Sometimes in the Word, we start with the Old Testament. God, do away with my adversary. Silence them. Before we can come to, all right, Lord, bless them. Thank God for a progressive work. But these types of prayers are not usually what come to our mind when we think about psalms. Psalms, we think about praise, thanksgiving, sitting beside the still waters. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. This is what we think about. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his holy name. This is beautiful stuff. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all you people. But read the Psalms carefully. That psalmist was just like you and I. He suffered a whole bunch of setbacks and suffering, and he struggled. And over and over and over again in Psalms, we read the word enemy and enemies over and over and over and over and over again. David, God's anointed king of Israel, a man after God's own heart, had more than his share of enemies, more than we probably have. Much of David's trouble occurred between the time he was anointed by Samuel to be king and the time he actually became king. You mean to tell me that the time from when I'm anointed and called by God to the time I'm actually used and step into the role that God's called me to step into, there's going to potentially be a whole bunch of setbacks and suffering? 
biblically? Yes. Why? I signed up for this. I want to work for you. Are you going to do this to me? He says, no, I'm going to do this for you. Because I called you because I see something in you. I've placed something in you. But it's something that you're anointed to do it, but it needs to be developed before you can step into it. And so we say, God, take this away. We're in essence saying, God, please remove the thing that you're putting there to get me ready for what you've called me to do. If we can get this message, it literally will change the rest of your life. You will never be the same. David was ridiculed by his brothers. Don't raise your hand, but have you ever had family trouble? He was targeted by a power-hungry leaders like King Saul. He was running for his life in caves in outdoor elements, but we can learn a lot from David. His life reveals that although the future might be bright and filled with promise, it's how we deal, we deal with our anointing that matters. There's no doubt, hear me when I say, some of you are anointed and called by God to do great things. But you're not ready to do great things because of the way you're dealing with your anointing. God has anointed you, but little things cause you to fly off the handle and get frustrated and give up and give in and stop. And that is keeping you, even though you are anointed and called, you're the ecclesia, the called out ones. You will never walk, you will never walk to the throne. And say this, I have reached what I am called to do. I am accomplishing what God has called me to accomplish. Because of the way you're dealing with the anointing. And part of that is understanding that when the javelin gets thrown in your head and you take off running to the cave. You don't go there and say, what is wrong with you God? I tried to serve you. This is what I get. But instead you say. All right, I'm going to write a psalm. I'm going to lament. I'm going to turn toward God, not away from him. I don't act like the frustration's not there. I don't act as, a, as if everything's fine. Read the psalms. You read about a guy that's fighting depression, frustration, anger, bitterness. He's going through it, but he always turns toward God. And he doesn't stop. He doesn't give up. He keeps going, and eventually... He's the man after God's own heart that years and years later, God is doing things in Israel, and he's going, I'm doing it for my servant's David's sake. I'm going to do this for my servant David's sake. Hundreds of years later, I'm going to do this for my servant David's sake. Because why? He handled his anointing well. It's how we prepare for the future. As we are anointed and called by God. Why does God allow this to happen? If he's truly the alpha, the omega, the beginning, the end, the first, the last. Then he was there at the beginning and he'll be there at the end. He knows ev everything. He sees everything. We just sang the last song about it. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. Do we really believe what we're singing about?
Because if we can, we could say, oh, I don't see it. I don't feel it. But let's be honest. We all, I, I don't do that much, but I think I can be safely say, we all like to feel like he's working. I don't like to go to too many altar calls and too many prayers and too many times where I'm coming to the Lord and I'm not really feeling anything. I want to feel something. But we can say, even when I don't feel it, you're working. So why does he make us wait? <laughs> why, why can't we just step into the promise like, whoa, I'm anointed. I'm taking a shower and I'm getting out of these sheep clothes and watching this, washing this dung off my feet. And I'm walking to the palace. I'm done with the sheep. I'm done trying to kill lions and bears with the slingshot and, and, and dumb animals keeping them in one spot and they're running off and I'm stepping in their dung. Get me out of here. I'm going to the palace. Couldn't he theoretically have done that? I mean, I felt called by God. When I got serious about God at 17, I felt called by God to a pastor of church. Why'd I have to wait until I was 28? Well, I'll tell you, there's a lot of reasons. And sometimes still, I think he called me a little too early. But because there's things he needs to develop. We see the same type of tension throughout Scripture. For example, God delivers the Israelites from Egypt and tells them, I got a land of promise from you. You're currently in bondage, but boy, I got great plans for your future. Gave them a promise to them, but they couldn't just walk over and settle it. The land was inhabited by, by giants and fortified walls. The Israelites had to invade the land, possess the land. How do we reconcile this? I gave you a promised land. It's yours. It's going to be yours. It's this tension of already but not yet. How do we reconcile this? Hopefully, if I ask this question, how many of you feel called by God to do something specific, but you haven't, you're not yet walking in it? I hope a whole bunch of hands would, would go up, because that means we still got dreams in front of us that we want to take. Something that is already done, but not yet complete. We've, we've heard and read about the promise, but we still have yet to experience that promise, that fullness. This creates a state of tension. We know it to be true. We have faith in God, but there are enemies in our path. There are setbacks. There are things we have to conquer before we possess the promises. I've been anointed. I've been called, but I'm not walking in that. I'm, not, I'm, I'm still in the field, but I'm called to be the, on the throne. So what do I do in the meantime? You develop your calling. You develop your anointing. And one of the greatest ways that that's going to happen, whether we like it or not, is how we handle suffering and setbacks. Because it's in those moments where things are not going like you want them to go. And tears are streaming down your face as you're crying out to God. And you're not feeling much. That there's a level of faith that is being built inside of you. That when you do get to the throne, you look backwards and you say, I've never seen the righteous forsaken. But I see begging bread. I went through a lot of trials. A lot of people threw a lot of junk at me. I hid out in a lot of caves. I ran for my life. I didn't know where the next meal would come from at times. 
but God provided me with the people that I needed. And he always protected me. And he kept me through it. And so I can look backward from the throne and I can minister from here more effectively because I am who God has molded and shaped me to be. So what do you do? What do you do right now if you're, if you're struggling, if you're not feeling this? What do you do? And I'm almost done. The Apostle Paul offers some insight. Ephesians 4.1 says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you do what? Walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. Meaning, church, you're called. You're anointed. Walk in the way that is worthy of that anointing. What does that mean? What does that mean? Well, the church had not yet fulfilled their calling, but Paul said, keep walking in it. Then, in Ephesians 4, 17, he says, walk as a new man. Ephesians 5, 2, he says, walk in love. Ephesians 5, 8, he says, walk in the light. Ephesians 5, 15, he says, walk in wisdom. What's he saying? There's an underlying theme in each of those. Walk. The seasons may change. Challenges may vary. Areas of emphasis may come and go. But one thing always remains the same for the church. Just keep walking. Just keep walking. Yeah, but, but finances are bad. Keep walking. But my, my spouse just left me. Keep walking. But the doctor just gave me the diagnosis. Keep walking. But I just heard that so-and-so was saying something about me. Keep walking. But the, the church leadership let me down. Keep walking. But things aren't going like I want them to go. Keep walking. But I just lost my job. Keep walking. Don't stop your progress. Suffering will happen. Setbacks will come. But walk, walk, walk. You might get frustrated. Some of your psalms might be psalms of lament. They might not all be. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. It might not all be like that, but neither would David's. There's going to be a lot of psalms of lament where you say, My enemies are surrounding me. God, hear my prayer. Where are you right now? There's roadblocks and setbacks. Setbacks and things have hit you that you just didn't see coming. Some of the injuries have come from people who you really love and you think it never should have come from them. Now what? Walk worthy of your calling. Your walk with him was never meant to be dictated on external circumstances or other people's opinions. So don't change how you walk or, or how long you walk or the day or the week. You just keep going. God's developing something in you today in the field where he has anointed and called you that he has a purpose that when you reach the throne room, when you step into that area of ministry in which he has called you, he's giving you something that is going to develop something for a later date. That's why Paul says, here's the closing word to the Ephesian church. In Ephesians 6.10, he says, a final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Church, 
What about this? What about that? I got issues. I got the problems. I got the... Let me give you a final word. Here it is, church. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. That's it. And so as you stand to your feet today, we just finished a series about purpose last week. And if you think finding and walking in your purpose is going to be easy. Oh, this message might have just rocked your world because it's not going to be. It's not going to be pain-free. It's not going to be without suffering. It's not going to be void of setbacks. But just remember, all these trials in this little bit of time is going to make me ready to not only be what he's called me to be here on this earth, but to keep the scope of eternity in mind. Nothing that we're dealing with here no great joy, no terrible struggle. Nothing will compare to when we enter into an eternity with our Lord and Savior. And he says, well done. People are going to oppose you. You might be dealing with opposition right now. No doubt, people watching online, you're here today. Stuff's happening. People aren't treating you like they should. Doctors aren't saying what you want. Pocketbook doesn't look the way you want. Relationships aren't as strong as you'd like them to be. Don't feel as healthy. I mean, whatever it is. Still struggling with X, Y, Z, whatever it is. <laughs> but we can say, God, some of my psalms are laments. Some of my psalms are praise and worship. But never have I turned from you. Never have I stopped walking. Why? Because I want to walk worthy of my calling. Because the Lord poured anointing oil upon me and he called me out. That didn't mean everything was going to be perfect and simple and great and easy. But when I totally trust him, when I say, God, no matter what, I completely trust you, then I know that I'm heading toward my promise. Abraham was 25 years. David, it was quite a while. But eventually he makes it to the throne. And he says, I am stepping into what God has called me to be. But in order to do that, I had to embrace suffering and setbacks. I had to make it through the caves and duck the javelins and do these things that other people did because but God, this enemy, this person. Did God use Saul to help David? Absolutely. You tell me God's going to use these knuckleheads that are saying this and doing this and chucking things at me? Oh, yeah. Because he uses suffering and setbacks as the potter to mold and to shape and the resistance training to build up what he saw in you from the very moment he called you. So when you approach this altar, I wouldn't beg God, Lord, take this away. Lord, remove this from my life. 
because that might be contradicting the first prayer you prayed when with tears you were filled with His Spirit and you say, God, no matter what, Lord, just use me. Do anything. Just take my life. Do what you want to do and use my life for your glory. And then when He starts to do that, He takes you to a cave and you say, God, stop. Take this away. And he's going, but you invited me and I saw something and I anointed you and I called you. Trust me. Trust me. This is tough, but I'm here. In the presence of mine enemies, thou preparest a table. So you know what? It's not easy. I'm not where I want to be. But I know you're with me, Lord. So, if I'm going to be like you, if that requires suffering, then let it be so. So I want to invite every person to find a place today and pray. And maybe it's time that we've changed some of our prayers. Maybe it's hard But instead of saying, Lord, remove this, change this, take this away, you can start to say, oh, Lord, this scar that I have, this open wound that might even still be bleeding, oh, God, thank you for it, Jesus. It hurts. I don't know why. I don't know your plan, but God, I trust you. I might be speaking a psalm of lament today, but I trust you, God. I trust you, Jesus. I I trust you that this scar is preparing me for the throne. I I trust you that that javelin that I just ducked, it it somehow is making me turn toward you. And, And God, I know that I wouldn't have chosen this chapter. I would have skipped this chapter in my own life story. But Lord, it's making me who you have called me to be, God. And so for that, I thank you for the suffering. I thank you for the setback.
Jesus. 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 Jesus.